This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is part four of Transform, Being Changed by Generosity. There's a story from a pastor down in Texas named Ed Young. He says he was at a football game with his family and his daughter asked him for some money to go buy some Skittles. So he handed over the money. She went and got the bag of Skittles and she came back and she was popping the Skittles. And he looked over and he said, can I have a few? She said, no. A few minutes later he said, come on, give me, give me some. She said, no, they're mine. And he thought to himself, how quickly does she forget? It was my money that paid for all those Skittles. And I'm bigger than her. I could just take some if I wanted. Uh, it illustrates the idea of stewardship. And today uh, we're going to talk about stewardship. It is the fourth in our series of four in this Transform series. We've been studying teachings from Jesus on money, possessions, and the kingdom of God out of Luke 12. And here we are at the halfway point through our Moved by Jesus initiative, which started a year ago and will be finished a year from now. In this time, we're hoping that everyone will participate in giving generously to resurrection. More important than the actual number that we hit, although that is important, but more important, our goal is that every one of our res folks will be participating and giving in some way. So today is the day that you're going to be coming forward with this commitment card. Uh, On it, or in it, I should say, there are three boxes to check. One would be I'm going to make a new commitment. So if you're new to the church, or if you were here last year, but you didn't make a commitment, now is the time you can check that box and say, I want to join. I want to start giving. There's another box that says, the commitment that I made last year is the commitment I want to stay faithful to. I want to finish strong. It may take everything that I've got to do it, but I want to do it. So you check that box, and we praise God for that. Or the third box would be, you know what, either because of financial increase in the last year, or the Lord is stirring in my heart or in our heart in a new way, we actually want to increase what we're giving from our previous commitment. As you check that third box, the goal is that every one of us would participate in some way. Julie and I have been praying and and having conversations, and this is now our third generosity series that we've gone through with Resurrection, and it's, it's really fun to look back and see over the years how our conversation around money has developed and matured. And now more than ever, we are united. We're on the same page. We understand each other. And our big fights with money don't last as long as they used to. And I got to say, in large part, due to the generosity series that we've had over the years, that's when some of our most poignant and fruitful conversations have occurred. So I'm really thankful for that. I'm really thankful that it doesn't take three days anymore to get to the bottom of our financial conflicts. It's like three hours, right? Roll up your sleeves. Let's duke it out. Here we go. So we're going to be excited to step up, drop our pledge into the glass bowl at the end of the sermon today. All right. If you turn to your workbook, we've been working through this workbook over the last four weeks. And page 20 is where our sermon text is for today. So it's Luke 12. And we are talking about stewardship. The idea of stewardship, like with the Skittles and the the dad who bought the Skittles, the idea is that everything that we have comes from God. Every breath that we have, all of our wealth, the ability to create wealth comes from God. And therefore, we are stewards. We're managing what we've been given, but nothing is truly our own. 
It's on loan to us for a time, but as we, we heard from our passage in Luke 12 today, at the end the master will return and he will say, how did you use the money and everything that I gave to you? How did you spend your life? Did you spend it according to the master's wishes? So before we jump into the text, uh, let's take a moment now to pause and pray. Lord, we invite your Holy Spirit to be with us where we sometimes have nervousness around money or fear or anxiety that is still here in our hearts. Jesus, I pray you would come and you would speak very clearly as you do over and over again and say, do not be afraid. Trust in me. I pray that we would hear that voice um, saying those words this morning and that you would also, by your Holy Spirit, give us the gift of joyful giving. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the takeaway question for you to write down in, in your booklet today, it's simple. It's a yes or no question, but it definitely merits some thinking through. And it's this. Do I have joy in my giving? And I don't mean me, Brett. Like you, you write, do I have joy? Right? For you ask that question for yourself. Do I have joy when it comes to giving money? What's really wonderful is you think that people would say no, but there's actually a good number of you in this room that can confidently say and genuinely say, yes, I, I have joy when it comes to giving money away, whether it's giving to the church or giving to someone in need. And I'm going to bet, I'm going to get, well, betting, no, don't bet, but I'm going to guess that if you have joy in giving, it's because you have a stewardship mentality. You've adopted a mentality of stewardship and that has set you free and it has enabled you to give. Whereas an ownership mentality hinders generosity. Ownership hinders generosity. Stewardship enables generosity. So the title for the sermon is Changed View on Stewardship. But really it's a changed view to stewardship, from ownership, the idea that I own some or all of what I have, to the idea that, no, actually, I own nothing of what I, quote, own. It all belongs to the Lord. That's the idea of stewardship. Um, and the goal today is that we'd walk away from here saying, yes, I'm a steward, not an owner, of 100% of all that I have. So now when we go to this text, Luke 12, there are three mini parables that Jesus tells. The first is about servants waiting for a master to come back from a wedding feast. And he says, blessed are those who are waiting for the master when he comes, even if it's to the second and the third watch of the night. Then he goes on and he tells another mini parable where instead of comparing us to servants, he says, be like the master who if he knew at what hour the robber would attack, he would be there waiting for him. So similar theme, be ready. Then he tells a third parable. Again, comparing us to servants. And he says, it's like a master who would go away and leave a servant, a chief servant, a steward in charge of the whole house, which if it's somebody who's really wealthy would, would really be more like an estate. So a wealthy person in this time might have several estates spread throughout the Mediterranean world. And they would live their life by traveling from one to the other. They'd live for several months or several years at one and then go on to the next one. 
And without cell phones and other uh, global technology, they had no way of checking up on how's my estate in Italy doing or how's my estate in Achaia doing. Instead, they would have to go and visit for themselves. It also means that when they're gone, they have to place a steward in charge of the whole household so that they're, as Jesus says, they're taking care of the other servants, making sure that they're fed, taken care of, that they're doing their duty, that they're um, doing what they're supposed to, that the fields are producing, the livestock are healthy, that the household itself is being taken care of. Everything, the finances of the estate, everything is under the charge of this steward. And the steward basically acts like the master, making the decisions of the estate though he does so knowing that none of this actually belongs to me. None of this is mine. And if he's a faithful and wise steward, he will know, and the master's going to come, and I don't know exactly when he's going to show up, but he's going to say, how have my fields been doing? How's the livestock? How are my servants? Are you faithful and wise? But Jesus goes on to say, an unfaithful servant will say, oh, master's gone for a while. I'm going to start using his resources for my own luxurious living and pleasure. I'm going to eat and get drunk and beat the other servants and abuse my power. And Jesus says very clearly, someone who doesn't take their stewardship seriously will be punished. The language here is very strong. Cut to pieces, put with the faithful, uh, unfaithful, uh, beat with severe beatings. And again, those words are hard for us to hear. Let me just say this. In that context, it would not have been that shocking. For the crime that Jesus is describing, that would have been a fit punishment. So to first century Jewish ears, they would have said, yeah, that's what you do with somebody who does that kind of crime, who steals and beats others. Yeah, you cut them to pieces and you put them with the unfaithful. So, all right, that's helpful. Set it in context. It's not shocking in Jesus' context. But in one way, let's let the shock shock. Let's let that language kind of wake us up and say, pay attention, because what Jesus is saying is stewardship matters. And having this idea that, no, actually, I don't own all this. I can't do just whatever I want with all of that I have, that I actually am responsible and accountable to the master. He says that really matters. So pay attention. Adopt a stewardship mentality. Change your view from ownership to stewardship. But then, of course, the language is not all negative. In fact, at the beginning, it's positive. Look at verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant. Blessed. Happy. And not just superficial happy. Joyful. So we're talking about giving joyfully. Joyful is the servant who knows that he or she is merely a steward and is faithful to discharge their duty. Truly I say to you, look at verse 44. So this is crazy. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. You are faithful with this estate? Huh, now you are over all of my estates. I will set you over all my possessions. There is a, a passage, there's a story in the Old Testament, similar to a moment that we're in right now, where David, at the end of his reign, is about ready to pass on the rulership to Solomon. But the one thing that he has wanted to do more than anything else in all of his life 
is to build a temple for God. And so as he is nearing the end of his reign, he gathers all of Israel together. It's basically the first generosity initiative that you can read about in the scriptures. And all the people of Israel come, they bring their treasures, they lay it at the king's feet for the building of the house of God. It's a beautiful and powerful story in 1 Chronicles 29. You can go read about it later. And as they laid their treasures at the feet, it's kind of like their commitment Sunday, except they're Jewish. So it would have been commitment Saturday, right? Except maybe they wouldn't be doing this on a Sabbath. So it was Tuesday. Who knows? That's not really important. The day doesn't matter. What's really important is that they're bringing a lot of money for the building of the house of God. And what David does in response is he looks at all the money, including his own that he gives, and he prays this beautiful prayer that's a stewardship prayer. Again, I encourage you, go read that prayer in full, 1 Corinthians 29. But at the heart of it, he says this, Who are we that we could give this much? All that we have comes from you, and of your own we have given back to you. He's saying, everything that we have here piled up at my feet is actually yours to begin with. And so I bless you, Lord God of our fathers. Now, the reason that David is able to do that is he knows the Scriptures. He knows that earlier in Deuteronomy 8, when the Israelites are on the cusp of entering into the promised land, God is very clear to them, and he says, look, when you go in and you possess the land, and you have wealth, and you have houses, and you're eating your fill, and your heart is lifted up with joy, take care that you do not forget the Lord. Kind of sounds like Jesus in Luke 12, right? Don't fall asleep. Don't get sleepy towards the things of God. And you know, in one of his other parables, Jesus compares the deceitfulness of wealth and riches to being like this thorny weed that grows up and chokes out the word of God. So in the language of of Luke 12, we could be saying, don't forget the Lord. Don't become sleepy. Don't let the deceitfulness of wealth make you sleepy. And in Deuteronomy, he says, don't forget the Lord, for it is he who not only gives you all of your wealth, but he also gives you the ability to create wealth. Because if you're a student, maybe, and you don't make any money, and you're living completely on loans, it's actually pretty easy for you to understand the concept of stewardship. You can look at all the money that you do have, and you say, yeah, that's really not my money. I'm borrowing all of it, and I'm going to have to pay it back. It gets a little harder when you start working, And now you're getting an income, and it's kind of nice to see that paycheck roll in every couple of weeks. Now it's starting to be tempting to say, this is mine, and I kind of earned that. I don't want to give it up. And yet Deuteronomy, Chronicles, the witness of all the Scriptures is really clear. Even the ability, the brain that God gave, gave you to do your job, the ability to read, the hands that He gave you to work and do your work, all of this comes from God. So that's stewardship. And the stewardship mentality, this, it's not mine, actually none of it, like I said, is what enables us to give generously. So this summer, uh, there were some friends who were out of town, and they let us borrow their car for the whole summer. And then in the middle of the summer, they said, oh, we forgot to tell you that there's actually a relative of ours who needs that car. He's going to be in town for three days. Can you let him have it? And I was tempted to write back, no way, are you kidding? That car is mine. No, of course not. It was easy to say, uh, yeah, of course, he can have your car for a few days. It's your car. Stewardship enables us, sets us free 
to be generous and to do so joyfully. And it's the only healthy way to think about our money, to think about our possessions, and for me to think about the car that actually is mine, that does have my name on the title, to say with that too, hey, if anybody needs that more than me today, you can use that. Because, of course, at the end of the day, this is about so much more than money. This concept of stewardship is about how we think about our entire lives, understanding that all that I am and all that I have belongs to you. So make of me whatever you will. I am your servant. As Paul says in Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. So the stewardship mentality allows us to say not only with our money, but with our every breath, with, with our life, how we spend our time, with everything, our relationships, we say, Lord, it's all yours. I'm at your disposal. Do with me what you will. I lay down ownership, and I become steward. Okay, so we're all stewards. We understand that. Now what? If we go back to Luke 12, look at verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Don't you want to be known as faithful and wise? And I, and I want to take a moment here to just kind of pause and reflect on the last few weeks and say, if you've been challenged in the last few weeks, you're not alone. I've felt challenged in good ways, but it's still never fun to feel challenged. You might have felt straight up uncomfortable at moments. You might have walked out of this sanctuary discouraged rather than encouraged. And I want to say to you right now, take a look at this scripture and these promises. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? If you are seeking to be a steward of your money, of your time, of all that you are, if you're asking the question, what's my my little part that I get to play to contribute to the building of kingdom of God here and now. And if you're asking that question, then I need you to know and understand that Jesus is here this morning to say, you are wise. You are faithful. If you're asking that question, you are faithful and you are wise and you need to hear that. Don't fear punishment. You are faithful and you are wise. And don't be afraid of what I call you to give up. Because look at verse 37. Is this not one of the most remarkable little verses tucked away that you might never have noticed? Verse 37. Blessed, again, happy, joyful are those servants who are awake when the master returns. Truly I say he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will serve them. I feel like the disciples in the boat after Jesus just calmed the storm. Who is this guy? Who is this master? What kind of king does this where he says, you know what, if you're faithful and you're wise, and if you, if you view all that you have as actually my own, then at the end, when all is said and done, I will come and I will serve you. He doesn't have to do that, by the way. <laughs> Salvation, at the end, it's already taken care of. The devil, he's already defeated. We're living in the joy of the eternal kingdom. And that is when Jesus says, I will remove my robes of glory. And in that place, that is when I will serve you. Why? For no other reason that he wants to. He wants to serve you. 
He wants to make you blessed and call you blessed. He wants to show you how much he loves, for you. He loves you. <laughs> so to enter into the life of stewardship is to enter into the life of blessing and to receive this amazing promise that at the end, if you're faithful, Jesus will serve you. What kind of God is that? Amazing. Phenomenal. So be encouraged. And then ask the question, now what? All right, so if we want to be faithful with the money, how, how do we do it? Well, here's the first and most important thing. When you're trying to figure out what to do with the master's money, the first and most important thing to do is to give to God first. So when you're making your budgets or when the paycheck comes in, give to God first. Take thought for what you're going to give to Him first before anything else. That is the most important thing you can do to have a stewardship mentality. It's also a really great way to break the shackles of the love of money. You write that check or you go online, you're saying, money, you have no power over me. I freely give. So you give to God first. And it's also important for you to understand that giving to the church is directly giving to God. There are basically two ways that you can give directly to God. One is you give to the needy. Jesus said, anytime you give to the needy, anytime you share with someone who is poor, you're doing that directly to me. So if you want to know joy in giving, give to the needy. But the other way is to give to the church. If you recall the story again from, from David and the temple, it's clear when you go and you study his prayer, he's saying, we're giving this directly to you. Now they're not taking the money and like flinging it upwards into heaven, trying to hope that it'll stick. No, they're taking that money and they're going to go build a temple. But what he's saying is by doing this, we're giving this money to you. It's directly going to you. And the New Testament is really clear that the church is the temple. The temple hasn't gone away. The temple is transformed into the people of God. So when you give to the church, you're giving directly to God. There's a practical side to this. A church functions by being staffed. And staffing a church takes money. So in order for the church to do what the church is supposed to do, provide pastoral care, there needs to be a staff there. So that's one reason, that's a practical reason why we give to the church and why even after the curtains are up and the classrooms are built and all that, we'll still be giving regularly to the church because that need will always be there. Uh, but even more important than that, like what all the money goes to is this first idea that when you give to the church, you're giving directly to God. And there are some of you here this morning where perhaps you are feeling a disconnect in your relationship with God. You're, you're feeling like, he's far away from me. I can't hear him. I, I don't really get much out of my times when I do try to read the Bible or pray. If that's you, and you are also not regularly giving to the church, I want to invite you, start giving to the church and see what happens. Because, like any other relationship, when you give somebody a gift— that is a tangible expression of your love. It's a way to show them, I love you, so I'm giving this directly to you. And when you give to the church, you give to God. So first and most important thing, when you're trying to ask, how do I faithfully steward my money? Give to God. Second way, how else does the master want you to use his money? To serve others. 
So you remember in the parable, the unfaithful and foolish servant was the one who said, I'm going to use the master's resources and spend it all on myself. And the faithful servant was the one who took thought for the other servants around him and said, no, I've actually been given all of these resources to provide for the people here. So instead of a self-spending mentality, it's a spending on others mentality. And I tell you that that's where the joy and the freedom in giving comes. And this is part of our mentality and our, our desire to plant more churches. You might be in here and thinking, okay, so some of this money is going to go to planting churches. I'm probably never going to plant a church, you might say, or I'm never going to be on a team that goes and plants a church. So that doesn't really apply to me. First of all, we do need to understand that if we're going to be a cathedral and ascending church, that applies to every single one of us. That sacrifice and the, require, the requirement of faith is going to be on the whole church to say church plants need to happen. So actually you are involved, even if you do, like probably many of you will, stay here for the rest of your life and never leave on a church plant. You're still involved. But it's also a really clear way that we're giving outside of ourselves. Along with money that will provide for the care and the things that we need in our congregation, we're also taking thoughts for those who are far from God, those who are not yet in church. There are 8 million people or so, probably more than that by now, in the Chicago area. Less than a million go to church regularly. That means we have a lot of work to do. And for our day and age, study after study shows that planting churches is the most effective way to reach lost people and people who are not in church. So we need to plant churches. And that's part of where we're getting excited about what is God up to in getting us to become a sending church? And then how can we give to fuel that vision and to say yes to the kingdom of God in our midst? So this idea of like serving others before you serve yourself, uh, I was able to take a missions trip with some youth uh, several years ago, six or seven years ago now. And we went to Pittsburgh, and there was a city there, or a church in the city, an Anglican church, that was primarily a congregation of homeless people. And every Sunday, they would do their service in the evening and then have a meal afterwards. So while we were there, I, I called up the leaders of this church and said, we'd like to come and fellowship with you and provide the meal afterwards. What do you normally, like what do people normally do when, when they give? And he said, oh, you know, typical soup kitchen fair, bunch of hot dogs, big vat of spaghetti. I said, oh, okay, all right. But then we raised so much money, more than we needed to get to Pittsburgh, to take care of all of our basic needs and get back. We had so much leftover money that when it came to this meal, I said to the team, I said, look, we've got more money than we need. We don't have to do this on the cheap. We don't have to do hot dogs and spaghetti. And how much fun we had there in the grocery store deciding like, what, what could we do? What would be so fun to bless these people who are used to hot dogs and big vats of spaghetti? So we did like lemon crusted pepper chicken or, you know, glazed carrots was on the menu. Lots and lots of watermelon. It was so fun. It was a lot of work. And I've never been more exhilarated in ministry than coming away from that night watching my students work really, really hard in the kitchen. And you better believe that the leaders came down afterwards. They said, anytime you guys are in the area, anytime, you just sign up. In fact, you don't even need to sign up. If someone else is here, you just shove them out of the kitchen. You show up. You do. 
What a beautiful gift it was able to, it, we could have said, hey, we'll do the hot dog thing and then use the rest to go out to a really nice restaurant ourselves. After all, it's been a hard missions trip. We deserve it, right? And we actually did have fun uh, plan for later. So fun is important. But how good it was to say, no, let's, let's blow this all on an awesome dinner for folks who don't normally get it. What a joy there is in giving to those outside of yourselves. Last thing I want to say um, on that is, it does bring up a question. If I'm supposed to be serving others with my money, does it mean I have to give everything away? Because if, if you've read in the Gospels, you know that a few chapters later in Luke 14, Jesus says, unless you renounce all that you have, you can't be my disciple. So what do we make of that? This is actually where the teaching of stewardship, again, is super freeing and can give us great joy. Uh, because if you renounce ownership and adopt instead a stewardship mentality, that's being faithful to that teaching of Jesus. If you're saying, it's not mine, and I might use it right now for these things, like paying rent, buying food, buying clothes, like basic needs, that's great. Uh, that's actually what Jesus wants you to do with that money. But it's all in the mindset of, and if he did come to me, and he said, actually, I do, in fact, want you, like St. Francis or like the rich young ruler, I want you to go sell everything and follow me. You would be able to say yes to that if you have a stewardship mentality. But for the vast majority of people, Jesus actually doesn't do that, where he says, I want you to literally sell everything and, and follow me. Instead, he says, no, I want you to have the mindset of stewardship, renounce ownership, and then spend on others, give to me. But then also the final thing that we are allowed to do, that it's actually wise and faithful stewardship to do, is care for our basic needs. So God has given you money to care for yourself and for those that he has given you to care for. So when you are paying rent or grocery bills or clothes, that counts. You're being faithful. I find that really encouraging. And that's true not only on an individual level, but that's true for us as a church, to, to be stewards of what God has given us. So you might not be excited about curtains or, or classrooms or, or other like kind of detail things or like building up the operating reserves. But I got to tell you, there's enough of, of a Dutchman in me that I have the propensity or the, the capacity to get really excited about things that other people consider very boring. All right, so when you start telling me that, hey, stuff's falling apart and, and decaying prematurely, we, to be good stewards, we need to take care of that. I'm really excited. And when you start telling me that we need to build up an operating reserve and pay down our debt, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, where's that commitment card? I want to get in line. That's exciting. And all my fellow Dutchies are out there about ready to give an amen, except you're Dutch, so you can't bring yourself to it, but that's all right. So as we come forward, my final word is to middle school, high school, college students, and young adults who've just finished college. Listen, listen especially. Start, if you haven't started giving already, start giving. It doesn't matter if, if your income is $50 a month from babysitting or cutting lawns. Start now. Because ask anybody who's 30 and older if it's easier to start when you've got little money or when you've got more money. 
Because it's a myth that, oh, well, when I make more money, then I can give. That's a myth. It doesn't work that way. If you wait to start giving, it will be very, very hard to start giving or to start giving in a way that's sacrificial. So young people, start giving now. Whenever money comes in, give it away. At least a portion of it. And if you're wondering, which, which portion? I mean, I've heard people talk about a 10% or a tithe. or like, what is that thing? Let me explain that briefly. In the Old Testament scriptures, God says, when the harvest comes in, give a tenth of it away to the temple. As Christians, we say, there's not necessarily that same 10% precedent in the New Testament, although if you read it closely, it's probably because they were giving much more than 10%. So we're not bound to that in, in the same way that you might see the Old Testament law. But here's the thing, and this is, this is a pastoral word. As I've talk to so many people who I admire, want to be like someday, and have I've turned the conversation to money and said, so what were you taught and what have you done? Over and over and over again, I hear the tithe. I say, well, I was taught to give 10%, and that's what I've done my whole life. And they've also been honest. It hasn't always been easy, and yet at the same time, I'm thinking, but you're the kind of person I want to be like someday. You may not know that, but that's how I feel about you. These are the people who have been taught to give 10% from the beginning. So if you're not giving or you're not giving 10%, consider that. This is your invitation. Start doing that. And again, just see what happens. What I want to do right now is invite Caitlin to come on up. Uh, she is a, a coworker of mine who has a story and a testimony about when she was young in college and decided, yeah, I'm going to start the giving journey now. I'm not going to wait till later. Good morning. I started attending Resurrection as a freshman at Wheaton College, and we were just kicking off the REACH generosity initiative at that point. That was our previous generosity initiative. I felt that this was the push that I needed to commit to Resurrection as my church and start forming consistent giving habits like Brett was talking about, uh, building on the practice of tithing that I had learned from my parents. I didn't have much to give since I was just working a student job on campus, but on Commitment Sunday, I truly felt like a part of the family as I went forward to put my commitment card on the altar. I became a regular giver. The summer before my sophomore year at Wheaton, I went home to Poland where my family has been serving as missionaries. And after receiving my financial aid offer for the next academic year, my parents realized that we wouldn't be able to afford the cost of another year at Wheaton. Funds were incredibly tight for my family, especially since the 2008 recession significantly cut down on our support. I was devastated at the prospect of not returning to Wheaton, and I had no other option but to pray for the Lord to provide in a miraculous way. After explaining our situation to the financial aid office, I was awarded an additional loan that made it possible for me to continue studying at Wheaton. And I still remember hugging my mom and dad, crying and laughing at the same time, thanking God for his provision and faithfulness. Since then, I've viewed all of my possessions, all provision, as a gift from a generous and gracious God. Giving to the church was a tangible way to express this, and I continued giving toward my REACH commitment. When Moved by Jesus came along, I was challenged to give on a new level, to become a sacrificial giver, giving till it hurts. 
I have to admit that I've faced financial strain this year, unlike any I've experienced before. Sometimes I wonder where the money's gonna come from to pay the bills. And I'd love to be able to share a dramatic testimony of money showing up out of nowhere, but that hasn't really been the case yet. What I can say is, though, that all of my basic needs are being met. The Lord has been meeting my needs through a series of little miracles. My bills are getting paid. I've been able to buy groceries when I need to and fill up my car with gas, and then to give my offering electronically each week. Today, I will go forward and commit to finishing strong the commitment that I made last year. I see it as an act of obedience and even more an expression of my love for God and for his church. I believe in supporting resurrection since this is my family. I want to serve the church with my resources and my abilities. I believe in resurrection's leaders, her people, her vision, and I see my sacrifice as a tangible expression of love for her and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.